Hey everybody, welcome back in Bleeding Claire and Cobalt. This week's episode, we'll look at the split between home form, road form. Special guest, RSL Technical Director Kurt Schmidt joins us. We'll talk about the Chicho edition, Nelson Palacio on his way into the roster as well. Lots of exciting times around the club as we get ready to head up to Toronto FC and old friend Bill Manning. All that, much, much more coming up next. Bleeding, Claire and Cobalt. Hey guys, just a big shout out to our friend Adam Sessions and One Wire Fiber. We would not be able to bring you Bleeding, Claire and Cobalt every week, every month without their great support. So you wouldn't want all your RSL news information coming from some distant out-of-state people that don't care about this community. So why would you rely on your voice, video, text for business coming from one of these big companies that literally don't care about you? If you don't own a business, but your friends do, your family does, you got to reach out to these guys because the level of customer service, of support, attention to detail from One Wire Fiber is immense. And we all know how fast the world is moving these days. If our phones, our computers, if our connectivity is not functioning properly, you just feel completely stuck in the water. And Adam and OneWire Fiber, they will figure it all out for you so you don't have to. The number one, W-I-R-E dot C-O, OneWire Fiber, they will take care of you. They care about this community. They care about this club, and they care about you. Welcome back in, everybody. Once again, Bleeding, Claire and Cobalt, brought to you by One Wire Fiber, Trey Fitzgerald, Ryan Hale, joined by RSL Technical Director Kurt Schmid. And we are recording this live from Harriman, not really live, but taped from Harriman as we get ready to head off to Toronto. Kurt, these are exciting times in the club. Obviously, uh, the Chicho Arango announcement is a couple weeks in our rearview mirror. The Nelson Palacio announcement, uh, is being made as we release this podcast. So um, I guess just talk about the dynamic of having a couple guys come in at the beginning of a, of a window, as opposed to what we've seen the last few windows where maybe immigration and other things held up a, a player's arrival and integration into the club. Yeah. I think, you know, from, from that standpoint, it's basically as if the window didn't, didn't really close for us. And that's the way we approached it, you know, from a scouting and front office standpoint is we, we just kept rolling through the close of the last window and carried that work forward and, and set a goal and a target to have everything wrapped up at the beginning of this one. And, uh, looks like we're able to, to sort that out. So it's obviously a big boost to, to the team, to the players themselves, honestly, to get them, gets them settled in here for a couple of weeks before having to, to make their first appearance. It gets them comfortable with the group, um, well in advance of their first game. And it obviously makes them available for more of the season. So, um, it just worked out really well for us and, you know, we did a good job there. Chicho's a guy who's obviously had great success in this league. I think, um, you know, there was an appetite to maybe envision him coming to MLS or sorry, coming to RSL even a year ago. But obviously I think if you guys had tried to acquire him, correct me if I'm wrong, directly from LAFC, we probably would have had to exhaust literally every, asset of gam and tam and draft picks and all that stuff so by you know 
letting him go to Pachuca for six months. Certainly he and his family have talked about their desire to come back into MLS, and and, and this acquisition is just much more of a, a di- discretionary spend from an ownership standpoint. But um, how did he, I guess, get back on our radar, and when did you kind of realize, hey, this this is real, the, the opportunity to get him out of Mexico and bring him back to MLS? Yeah, I think that you got to file this under um, – one of the vagaries of MLS and and like you said, you know, the internal transfer market is a completely different animal than than any other league in the world or than the external transfer market is. And, you know, the the way that GAM is applied to teams rosters and and also used in transactions in this way. Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone, you know, in the league, I think, knew uh, everyone in the media, I think, even knew that yeah. that Chicho was um, was a player that was likely available from LAFC at various points last year. Um, but 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 certainly his value um, in terms of allocation money value within the league was was incredibly high. And those deals are few and far between for a reason, because, um, you know, game is very important, not just in terms of using to, to buy players in those transactions, but to to hold your roster together. And and again, not, not just to build your roster, but to hold it together. You know, once you've built a good roster, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you've got to immediately dismantle it the next season. Um, you want to have enough game and game reserves at times to make sure you can keep a group of players that has quality and consistency, keep them together for multiple years. So um, expending a lot of game like that on a trade, I mean, there are certainly scenarios where that's, that's beneficial or valuable i think every year there's probably a few teams that can make that type of deal um and and have it not cripple them because those teams typically are you know maybe the teams that have sold a player for for multi-millions or sold multiple players um in some cases or sometimes usually the expansion team which has a little bit of extra reserves those teams can maybe stomach those types of deals a little bit better but yeah for us it would have it would have certainly impacted our ability um, in terms of just roster construction. And so, you know, we evaluated it at times and, you know, it wasn't something that lined up for us. Right. But, you know, we kept in touch and obviously it, when it became a different mechanism through the DP and, and an external transfer, uh, like you said, it was just a discretionary spend from ownership and they stepped up and, and they put, they put the money down and we were able to bring them in. So, you know, the process was interesting obviously the expectation was not that chicho would come uh right back to mls not even six months later within six months um and uh it was more uh it was less of a, a heavy lift in terms of scouting and more of a heavy lift in terms of i guess recruitment and i don't know almost maybe marketing or just keeping in touch with people and um, you know, the right people, the right agents, uh, the right people and in, in on the ground and, you know, being apprised of different situations. And, you know, that's, we talk about scouting a lot, but it's really scouting and recruitment. And I think this one fell a lot more in the recruitment bucket than the scouting bucket, obviously in the short term. Was it understood kind of as things got serious and looked apparent that he would come here, that there's just something unique about him and his makeup and, and almost embracing the pressure and the expectations that, that we have for him as a club and certainly that our fan base has for him. He's just been, I mean, he's been great every minute he's been here. He's, he just seems like a really good, genuine person that wants to work hard and play and help the team. He he's from minute one that we were able to speak with him. He seemed like a really good teammate. Um, very, very honest, hardworking, genuine guy. 
Um, we spoke to people and, you know, it's rare that you speak to people that have worked with a player and there's, there's no real negative feedback. And, you know, we were, we always poke and prod and what about this? What about that? You know, any issues with this and, and really, you know, there wasn't a bad word said about him. And I'd have to say for now, he's lived up to the billing. Um, he's been great with the group and we really enjoyed having him around and can't wait to get him on the field. I would have to say that in 19 years, he's he's the biggest signing, right? We've had players that have come through here and have grown in their stature, um, either through national team duty or, or league accomplishments. But I would say that, that he is probably at the top of the list in terms of um, not only a financial commitment in terms of a transfer fee, but also just name, reputation, and expectation. I mean, his first press conference, he's talking about winning silverware this year across multiple competitions for RSL. You love to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I would say maybe the underrated aspect for Chicho is, as we've all kind of gotten to know him over the course of the last three weeks and seeing him in training, and this might have been something you probably identified long ago, but his ability to make everybody around him better other than just him scoring 12 or 15 or whatever the arbitrary number of goals we expect from him. So as you're kind of helping put this together and talking with Pablo, I mean, how exciting is it to think about the effect he'll have for Savarino, Luna, Rubin, Krylock, Gomez, and everybody else, uh, certainly Danny Masofsky, who's already spent years playing with him on how that all fits together for, for RSL. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what's crazy is I think the effect that he's already had on on the players and their performances in the games that he can't even play in, because I think just his arrival, his presence, uh, one is you know the the signal of intent that the announcement you know was to not just the fans and the public and the league, but but our group internally about what uh, what the club is willing to do to back them to help them. Um, was a was a huge boost and to and then his his arrival and his incorporation into training I think has made everyone raise their level because nobody wants to be the guy that gives him a bad pass or or misses him when he's open to to you know to take goals away from him and so everyone's on their toes and everyone's a little more tuned in and a little sharper and a little more engaged and working a little harder because hey if he's doing it I'm gonna do it right and so all those things have had a, already had a positive impact but when he steps on the field for us I think. You know, you said apart from his ability to score goals, but the reality is that ability to score goals and the belief that that puts or instills in in his teammates and the rest of the players on the field is what makes them play better, right? It takes it takes some pressure off of them. It lets them play a little more free and relax into their strengths. And now, you know, because of that, everything is maybe a little bit easier, a little bit more uh, second nature, instinctual, and it just flows better. And so I think his the expectation that he scores, whether he even scores or not, the expectation that, hey, if we need if we need one, he's going to get us one, I think is is a, a attitude and mentality that permeates the group and, again, lifts lifts them all, takes some pressure off, and really helps everyone. So, And that's all apart from the soccer stuff, which I think is what you started mm-hmm, with, sure. like his actual soccer playing ability on the field, his first touch, his movement, the space he creates, his finishing ability. All those things are top-notch. Obviously – you know, he's going to guys are going to have a few more assists than they maybe had the first half of the year because he's going to be able to finish some chances that we've already been creating. Um, so those are huge positives as well. But I think there's a lot of sort of secondary effects that have already really helped us. This 
is probably more of a question that provides insight into, you know, your job and your history in this league. And it, I, I guess there's no easy way to ask this, but this is the art of putting a roster together. Um, does landing Chicho here in early June eliminate or overcome maybe some of the frustrating circumstances surrounding all the other nines that, that might've been very, very close in the previous six months? Uh, you know, uh, no, I'm very stubborn. I'll hold on to that forever. Um, I, I think, no, but look, I think obviously it's the, you know, signing, signing Chicho is the culmination of, of the whole, you know, effort that we've mm -hmm. undergone for months and months and months right. in, in scouting and recruiting um, a center forward. And, you know, for sure there were players that we, we looked at hard and, you know, either, you know, we decided against or we made offers for and they didn't get accepted or we passed on or the timing wasn't right or, right. you know, there there's all kinds of things that happened. There were some other players we looked at. Again, you know, we were looking for a nine before Chicho even left the league. So, sure, sure. So it's, you know, it's it's interesting to think of the time, that the arc of the whole thing. But, yeah, there were other players. And like I said, I'm stubborn. I'll hold on to all of it and I'll try to incorporate all the lessons that I can right. from those experiences and you know what went well and what went poorly in each of those situations but you know look the the ultimate goal was to get a high quality center forward in the door and it's really difficult to uh, argue with with our with the end result um are you guys with with gomez in in mid-january and then vera i think in early february and now chicho and then Nelson Palacio landing just in the last couple of days. Um, are we going to have to try to get some kind of dispensation from the league to not play during Colombian national team windows, or wh what's going on with the Colombia pipeline? We're going to have to change the 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 beehive kit. It's going to be the gold, the blue. And well, we already share red, the colors, red yeah, socks, exactly. Right? But then we're going to wear the red socks. <laughs> um, no, I think uh, <laughs> no. Obviously, yeah, it, it's didn't start out in a way where we were going to sign a bunch of Colombians. Um, but you know, it worked out that way. We've, it's obviously a place that we've, we've scouted that we've traveled to that we've watched a lot on video. Um, and so it just, it, that's the way it turned out. Those were the players that were in and around the top of our list, uh, in terms of quality and budget and, you know, mm. positional need. And so we were able to get them and, you know, I think it's, this league and our team in particular is a is a it's reasonably easy to integrate into if you're from south america and so it lends itself to that and you know it's 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 certainly not uh you know i wouldn't expect another four <laughs> colombians through the door anytime soon but um but yeah it's interesting the way it worked out but it's you know it's a league and um a country where you can find a lot of really talented players and you know that's what we that's what we hit on when we were scouting. You know, Chicho and Vera have played outside of Colombia before coming to MLS. Um, Gomez and another U22 and Nelson Palacio uh, arrived straight from Colombia. Uh, I guess let's switch over to kind of how Nelson got on your radar, why using the U22 mechanism for what has been described to me as kind of a, a true destroyer or a ground gobbling six, if you will, protecting that back four in Palacio, um, who's just coming off of a, you know, disappointing um, two-leg final loss on penalties 
of all things, uh, to uh, Mionarios, who we're obviously very familiar with now too. So uh, how did how did that recruitment process uh, materialize? Yeah, I mean, look, it's um, it's just kind of a I guess a a, a reason why you always want to go and be on the ground, which was something that, you know, COVID, you know, kind of took away from us and that we got back into in the last, I don't know, two, two years, year and a half or so in terms of traveling for scouting, because, you know, we did a lot of, um, you know, pre-work on, on the winger position in middle of last year. And we had a bunch of guys on our radar, one of whom was, was Andres Gomez. Um, and so we, we planned a trip and sent my man, Luke Mulholland down there to go watch, um, some games and you know this is why you go because obviously he watched Andreas but he was also able to watch America to Cali and 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 see Brian Vera who you know wasn't someone that was maybe really high on our radar at that point um, there and but you know we did the work and had the reports and the profile when we when we had the need and it came up it it made sense and even Nelson Nelson was someone that um, Luke Luke encountered his profile when he was down there as well and it caused us to start watching him more closely and when the opportunity came up uh you know in the last couple months to to take a closer look at him and to bring him in we were able to jump on it as well so um yeah i mean it's it's you gotta you gotta make sure you kind of tick all the boxes and and walk along each step in the process whether it's video scouting live scouting you know keeping your ears open when you're on the ground to see who likes who and and following up on those things and and just keeping in touch with the right people. Nelson's been with Atletico Nacional since he was six. Uh, 16 years is a long time. If they had just won this most recent final, that would have been his fourth trophy in the last couple seasons uh, with that club. Um, they did win three different competitions in 2021. Um, but what was it about his um, desire, I guess, to explore something new and, and maybe his agents to – to move him to a new spot and why is this the right place for him to continue his career? I think he really, he fits into Pablo's style of play and what we need at this moment. I know we have a few players in that position. Um, a lot of them share some similar traits, which again, makes sense considering our style of play and you want to have guys that can get, can do similar ish things. And his ability to cover ground at high speeds, to change direction, to be explosive and aggressive physically is really is obviously really good. And that's something that we need from all of our midfielders to close down space and to help in our defensive efforts to recover the ball, but also to to uh, cover the amount of ground we ask in our four four two because it's obviously a lot more space yeah. to cover than sort of a traditional four two three one or something different four three three. So he can definitely do that, but he's also a player that. Um, when instructed, knows where home base is, know, knows where the six mm. plays, you know, can stay in front and protect the center backs when he's given that instruction. So there's a there's a tactical uh, responsibility or IQ there that is very helpful and very useful. And, you know, his uh, his technical ability and his passing, his range of passing is is pretty good. And it's come along since we started watching him. And, you know, he's still a really young player. We expect yeah. him to come along even more and have his distribution and range of passing to be another key element of his game. So we're always trying to, you know, find that perfect balance of 
um, you know, just destroyer ground covering, you know, aggression and, and, uh, someone who can and knows when to put their foot on the ball, when to speed the game up, when to slow the game down, when to spray it wide, when to go vertical, Mm -hmm. you know, we're looking for that. And like, he's a young player. I wouldn't tell you he's perfect at every of those things right now, but he has really good starting points. And obviously we think we can bring him along. It may be too early to ask this question, but does his range of abilities and maybe his um, his ability to, I guess, maybe serve as a little more of a true six than Ojeda or Ruiz or Jasper, does that – and maybe now, maybe July is not the right time to start thinking about tactical flexibility and four one four one or a diamond you know, or him – doing the dirty work for imagine, you know, maybe having Diego play more of a true 10. I don't know. Are those things you and Pablo and everybody have kind of talked about uh, opening up that, that those possibilities? Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, there's, there's obviously flexibility, you know, like I know we've played a lot of games in a four, four, two lately. Um, sometimes it's a four, four, one, one, you can maybe trick someone into thinking it's a four, two, three, one at times, yeah. you know, but, but Pablo has been very, uh, tactically diverse and well, you know, it's not even just tactics, but like put formationally diverse because right. formations and tactics are really different things. But, you know, he's come out in, in a three man back line. We've played a three, five, two, we've played a three, four, one, two, we've played a three, four, two, one, a three, four, three. We've played, you know, various versions of a four man back line, you know, this, this, uh, gives him the tools to, to, to just do more of that. I guess, experimentation whenever he feels it's appropriate. So with the number and the type of midfielders we have, could we play a 4-3-3 with one guy sitting behind two more box-to-box 8-10s? Absolutely, right? But we have to think about, okay, well, who does that suit? And then who does that bring off the field? When are the games for that? You know, I think it's important that those are things that Pablo is always going to consider when he's making those changes. Um, so we could play 4-4-2. We could play 4-2-3-1. We have, you know, Gomez. We have uh, Saba. We have... Uh, Diego, you know, and those three could play underneath the striker. Potentially we could play four, three, three with two of those guys wide Chicho up top. And then three of the four or three of the, I guess, five midfielders that we have right now, um, you know, in that setup. So there's a lot of, uh, flexibility and variability, which I think just, just gives Pablo options and makes us less predictable and, and more difficult to play against. Are you excited about, um, where we are at in terms of advancing to an open cup semifinal, does that affect how we look at the league's cup at all? And then obviously we've got playoffs and MLS cup uh, coming in October, November. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the fact, I mean, look, I know there's this, this thing about the open cup, but you know, we, we, we're all doing this, you know, including you, all me, you know, the players, the coaches, everyone in the front office, we're all doing this to win trophies. And when there's a trophy to be won, there is no reason not to take that seriously yeah. and 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 try to win that trophy and so obviously i'm i'm happy with the way that we've gotten to the semifinals and the squad rotation it took to get here and the that every player has contributed to this this run over the last few weeks i think that an underrated element of the open cup uh that i have talked to pablo a lot about and that you know when i was in the old days when i was in seattle that i think we always used to really good effect when we went to i think it was like four finals um is 
this sort of run of of games in the season is everyone knows they're going to get a game, which means everyone's level stays high in training because there's no like, ah, why should I work hard today? I'm not starting. Everyone knows like, okay, if I don't play Saturday, I'm going to play Wednesday. I got to keep pushing. Yeah. I got to keep working. And then getting those results, the psychological boost it gives to the team, the, the momentum that you have, whether the games are in the league or the cup, the fact that you're winning, getting positive, positive results, working hard, gives the group a huge platform to to pick up and and roll with momentum and then you know i think we've done a good job of that of picking that momentum up and rolling it into the league results and you know we've had some good results last few weeks in the league and so it's the open cup is sort of a a, a, a underrated i think underrated trophy and an, also an underrated i think tool to like help spur your season along um, but we've we've used it, I think, pretty effectively. Now we're two games away. Everyone's talking about the final, but I don't care about that. All I care about is the semifinal. We're on the road in Houston. We got to win that game, and we take it one step at a time. And that's what we've done up till now. So I just gotta, you know, we just have to make sure the players, you know, take it one step at a time, like we have been. And you know, road or home doesn't seem to bother us these days. <laughs> so you know, I'm looking forward to it. But. Um, yeah, I don't know what else you asked me about contending for other trophies, but again, the, the reason we're doing this is for trophies, whether that's the Open Cup, MLS Cup, Supporters Shield, Leagues Cup, you know, we, we, we want to compete for everything. You know, during the last two months, as I mentioned earlier, we've only lost three games. Pablo and, and Matt and the staff have used 26 different players during the rotation. Pablo has echoed very much what you just said in terms of keeping everybody engaged, right? Keeping the, the group galvanized. Um, Typically, if you're going through an injury crisis or that kind of thing, um, it always feels like the MLS roster size is not quite enough to juggle multiple competitions. But clearly, you know, they've managed it very well. And we have had injuries. We have had international duty. But now as we get ready to go to Toronto, there's there's more bodies than uh, than you know what to do with in an average training session, which is first world problems, right? But um, where do you kind of land on on MLS uh, composition in terms of uh, you know adding more bodies and how that affects maybe the whole pyramid? Because you guys clearly have monarchs and then uh, academy teams to worry about as well. Yeah, MLS makes it hard to build depth, yeah. right? And it's it's to some extent by design. It's gotten a lot easier in the last like. Uh, 14 or, or so years where you know we don't have anybody on our first team roster making 10 grand a year which is nice um but but it's still difficult to build depth you need to i mean even you know wh whatever wherever your team sits whatever market you're in whatever your ownership ambitions are you know mls you know levels the playing field with yeah. with the rules and um, you need to use every every roster mechanism every avenue available to you to build that depth and have and have the most success the teams that have the most success are the ones that use all those uh all those methods of roster building so you know for us when i look at the depth that we've had and and the rotation that pablo has been able to to engage in with the squad you know you look at the guys we got out of college in the last couple of years mm -hmm. you know have been been big contributors obviously those guys don't don't hit our cap hard or, or right. even at all in some cases, right? They're they're off the cap basically. Um, there's there's the homegrown kids who have stepped up, you know, and our academy is a big focus and being yeah. able to have guys step onto the first team roster as homegrowns, not hit our cap or hit our cap a little bit lighter and 
and play a role. You know, that those those things are are huge in terms of building depth in the bottom of your roster. Because otherwise, you know, everyone's spending the same amount on on players twenty one through thirty. Right. right. There's it's not there's no like DP supplemental roster. You know, you've got, right. everyone's got whatever it is this year, eighty some grand um, to spend on those guys. And so maximizing that amount of money is often the key between teams that can weather an injury crisis or a bunch of three game weeks and not. And I think, you know, the scouting staff, again, you know, whether it's Luke or John Spencer or Joe, or, you know, the various people that helped us with the college scouting this year, that's been a big success the last couple of years. And we've been really, really happy with that. And, and the homegrowns and the Academy piece has really supplemented the first team roster and helped us as well. couple more questions. How, obviously you just went through, you know, kind of a thumbnail of, of the vagaries of MLS and, and how unique it is in a lot of different mechanisms with a lot of different seemingly contradictory rules. Um, how has it been over the last 18 months trying to convince the Blitzer guys and the Ryan Smith guys about these idiosyncrasies to get to the point where you're going to spend big money on a, on a Chicho and, and spend, I think between these two windows, Kurt, depending what happens with Ojeda, we're looking at 14, 16, $17 million dollars uh, which I guess from the outside seems rather sudden from these guys. They've made a huge commitment. Our owners have made a huge commitment um, to to not just build the team, but to to compete, right? And you know, so we that we obviously really really appreciate that, and it's it's a it's a huge boost again to the staff and to the players to see that investment and that commitment, and to see these players walk through the door, you know, mm -hmm. and say, okay, here's a guy that can help us, um, and it gives everyone a boost. It, it raises everyone's level. Um, I I think things like the Chicho signing are the least difficult things to sort of explain i think to to an ownership group that's obviously pretty familiar and comfortable with with you know transfer policy and and transfer markets abroad because it's 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 just about money it's straightforward buying it's very, a player yeah, it's yeah. very straightforward you pay the club you pay the player the player's yours um and it's real money and everyone knows what a dollar's worth and like it's great it, the the complicated ones are the trades and, you know, like whether it's like a trade for Danny Masofsky or the Aaron Herrera trade or whatever, it's, you know, it's 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 complicated to explain sometimes why, you know, if you trade 250 or, you know, 500 or whatever for in GAM for a player, yeah. it's not the same as paying that in cash or when you receive that, it's not the same as, as receiving that in cash and what those values are can be different, uh, you know. Some people like to say, oh, game, you know, an easy shorthand is game is three times real money. And it's like, eh, like it is maybe sometimes, but sometimes it also isn't. And it's really just about um, game. Game gives you roster flexibility. And so it can be more valuable than cash. But, you know, it's like whether we spend six million or a hundred million on Chicho, his cap hits the same. So like from the standpoint of managing the cap, it doesn't matter how much he costs. Um, obviously it does matter to owners cause it's real money. Yeah. Uh, but then you look at like Tam players and you know, like, um, those guys are eating, you know, Tam and Gam and, and, you know, we have to use Gam on other players to make room for these players. Right. And so those things are, you know, like MLS, maybe it's job security for us weirdos that know all these rules, but it's, yep. uh, I was going to ask, do you, do you look at a pile of Gam as, funds that can be used to reduce someone's impact or is it like an add-on supplementary pile to the cap so there are really specific 
detailed rules about how and to whom you can apply GAM. Okay. To whom you like that. Yeah. But it's easy shorthand. So so you do need to know how to apply GAM. There's yeah. there's more restrictive rules on how to apply TAM. You do need to know how to do that. But there's enough. Can you commingle GAM and TAM? You can't unless you can. <laughs> So Straightforward, just like the rules and regulations. Yes, you're not. Yeah. You're 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 theoretically not supposed to, but there are times when they let you. Mm. And you know, but but no, you're not supposed to commingle TAM and GAM. I mean, the league can always kind of make you know call an audible and yeah. and maybe do something a little different. But no, you're not supposed to commingle TAM and GAM. TAM is for players that make over max salary, which is six six fifty uh, roughly this year, and a million over max salary, which is you know one point six five million. So anybody who makes in that range, you can apply TAM to. Um, anyone who makes less than that is GAM. DPs are GAM. So you can typically, the, the easiest place to apply GAM is like a DP's cap hit. It's Got 650 it. grand. So it's a huge chunk of money. You can buy it down to 150 and you can- And then you're just effectively reducing space. the max cap charge. So when you're building the roster and you're building the cap, like it, it is a quick and easy shorthand to just tack the GAM yeah. onto the cap and say, okay, the cap is instead of 4 million, it's 6 million because we have 2 million in GAM, like using easy numbers, right? So it is it is a quick shorthand, but then once you like do it all, you just got to make sure that you didn't break any rules and go back and that you can have, you have enough people to apply to. But normally that's, you have enough, if you're doing what most teams do, you have enough uh, opportunities to apply GAM that you can think of it like just an extension of the cap. How hard is it because of that particular or those particular set of rules? Is it to try to plan for future windows? It doesn't. It doesn't make it hard. It's just. It's just another element, you know. And oh, so another factor. Yeah, yeah. And, and even in like this window, because obviously we were looking for. You know, we signed a winger, we signed a center back, we signed a six, we signed a striker um, in the first half of this year, mm -hmm. and. Obviously, we had a DP spot open, and we had two U twenty two spots open, right. and then you know a TAM player. So we signed a DP, two TAM player, a TAM player, and two U twenty twos. So that was roughly what we could do. But what which player was which thing, you know, can potentially be a moving target that could change based on your targets. And so from a scouting standpoint, it is a little bit of a heavier lift. To have like you've got to have okay because everything's interrelated yeah so for striker we have to have five you know our top five u22s our top five tams our top five dps okay and then we know that and then same with every position and then maybe you like you know you pick your top guy in each position regardless of category and then you realize oh no i have three dps and one u22 it's like we can't do that okay so if, who do we really want to be the dp okay if this guy's the dp here's the u22 there's a u22 here can be the tam and so each choice you make you know has a a knock-on effect and that helps kind of you know make it easier to keep building um and your audience is probably asleep by now no no people love this stuff the, man because stuff. I'll, I'll tell you the reason they <laughs> love it is two years ago i don't know that people would have believed rsl would ever be a club with three dps and three u22s well yeah we've been and does that now we do and does that affect the ojeda by all accounts, but you know, Elliot goes on the radio with Spencer and says, "We want Ojeda. Ojeda wants to be here, but it's it's going to basically become a financial yeah. decision at the end of July." Yeah, um, and, and it's another interesting wrinkle where, like, yes, we we would like to keep Ojeda, and we can. We are in a position, MLS rules, you know, ownership, everything. Whereas, like, you can buy Ojeda now. Mm -hmm. If we wait two months, we actually can't 
biohated. Like if his loan expires, now he's got to right. be now now to pay this you know to pay the same price the day before the loan expires versus the day after the loan expires changes completely his sure. classification and where sure. he fits. Um, so so it's and, and even with this like I was talking before with the scouting stuff, it's like hey you've got your best strikers and it's like oh man I wish we could get this guy but he's you know he's twenty three and it's like. Ugh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like now we can't sign a guy just because he turned 23 at the wrong time, you know? And so those are sometimes those can throw little wrinkles and curveballs in the whole scouting process. And again, none of it makes it impossible. The world is huge. There's players everywhere. Sure. You can always find another player. And we've, you know, in the time I've been here, which is not that long, right? A couple yeah. of years, but yeah. there's been multiple players that we have been unable to sign or missed on or moved on from. And, yeah. you know, we're able to find other ones that we, that we like and have been very effective. So the world is huge. You can always find those guys, but when you fall in love with that one guy and then doesn't quite fit sure. the right roster mechanisms to, to get him here, it's a tough one. Do you have any sense of how the messy situation will deconstruct maybe all these Byzantine rules and regulations that have existed in MLS for 20 years? I think there is very little chance that the messy situation deconstructs anything with okay. the rules. Um, the league is always is always looking at different ways to invest um, and to to increase the quality and the level of, of its teams. I think I know there's a perception that there's owners that like to spend and there's owners that don't like to spend. But for sure, I think every team that comes in, you see the ambition in in the facilities, in the stands and on the field. And so I think there's far, you know, to the extent that there's any owners that don't like to invest, there's far more owners that I think are ambitious and want to spend and like to win things and want to compete on a bigger stage, mm -hmm. whether in League's Cup or Champions League or Club World Cup or different things. Yeah. So will everything magically change um, the day Messi plays his first game? Very doubtful, um, but will the league is like always looking at ways to spend more money. Again, sure. Tam, Tam arose because, you know, there was, um, you know, there was a perception that we wanted to compete more with, with uh, league MX in, in champions league and their, you know, their depth, their consistency of quality outside of the top, maybe two or three players was way better than us. And one of the reasons why it was way better is because they spent way more money on those guys than us. So then the league said, Hey, let's, let's spend more money in a targeted way. Hence, Targeted, targeted allocation, allocation money, yep. but in a targeted way to increase the level of these types of players and the number of these types of players um, in in the league to compete with with League MX. And I think we've been more competitive. I think obviously we'd like to have won more uh, Champions Leagues at this point, but you know I think those things have been positive. And then the U twenty two rule is uh, is geared towards that investment piece, right? Sure. And and again, continuing to invest in the 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 breadth and depth of the roster and by, by spending money on quality players, but also by spending money on players that can increase in value and, and you can potentially sell on. So it makes it, it can change the perception of our league to more of a, a selling league that can, that can produce and sell players. I think the only thing that would have been more surprising a year or two ago than maybe RSL having three DPs and three U22 simultaneously is that you would have a six game home winless streak and a nine game road unbeaten streak. Like both of these things are 180 degrees apart of from where this club has been for 18 years. Yeah. I mean, do you have an explanation? 
Yes, I figured it out. Um, I've, I've, yes, I figured it out. I just haven't told Pablo. Uh, no, I, uh, well, it's kind of a funny thing. You know, MLS is, is probably the league in the world with like the biggest home away disparity, mm-hmm. but in favor of the home team. Sure. Um, and whether that's travel or climate or I don't know, you know, placebo effect, who knows? Um, but it is a big imbalance and, you know, we were, we were a huge example of that the last couple of years. Um, I think our home form was, was very good and we were, we were often not quite as good on the road and it's maybe flipped. Although to be fair, it hasn't flipped completely. Um, you know, I don't think the home results have been as bad as, you know, some of the road form maybe in the past, but I think that, um, we'd obviously like the home form to be better. And, you know, I think, I think there's a number of things that can play into it. I think sometimes, you know, there can be a little more pressure on, on home, the home team to produce and score goals. I think that we've created a lot of chances at home and just haven't had that last touch. That's obviously something we hope Chicho can really uh, remedy for us. I think that, you know, teams, because of that home away disparity, a lot of teams go on the road and play tactically different. I don't think we play much tactically different home and away. Um, I think sometimes it's not even tactics, but it's players mentality. Yeah. Um, and so whether they know it or not, like players go on the road sometimes and they play a little more conservative and a little more tight. And so teams maybe come here and maybe they're a little more defensive minded in the back of their head. They're a little more compact and tight and a little less aggressive. And so that makes them a little harder to break down, which makes it a little harder for us to score, which which can lead sure. to some of the results. Whereas on the road, those teams, those same teams are playing more open and free and they want to score and they're trying to win and they're opening themselves up. And now there's transition moments and we can capitalize on those and you know, we can we can play well. Plus I think the mentality of our group is really good and they don't they don't again, they don't play, I think we don't play drastically differently on the road versus home. We don't play with any right. with any real fear on the road right now, and and that's that's the mentality you need to go on the road and get results. So, the road form is obviously a huge positive. I think the home form is something we need to fix. We'd like to fix, but I think that we are we are uh, hopeful with with Chicho and Nelson coming in that that they'll help us a lot in that respect. Fix VAR, you'll fix the home form. Just kidding. Um, oh, I'm not a big VAR fan, but I'm I'm not gonna like not. Yeah, I don't like VAR. Yeah, it's just it's just, it's just more subjective. I think it's more the whether it goes for you or against you. There's still something about the relitigation based on a frame by frame sequence of events that can't be seen by the human eye. And and I don't mean this just in football. I mean it in in, in basketball and other yeah. sports too. Well, here's my thing, and, and I don't really, I don't know as intimately how video review is, yeah. is applied in all the other sports. But what I'll say in soccer is just, if you're just letting one person judge what they see and you're just showing them different angles, I think you're just like introducing doubt in their minds, but you're not actually getting closer to like the truth or what really Well, happened. the idea was you're to eliminate human error. Yeah, but you're not getting closer to objectivity if it's just like subjectivity with a little more evidence. Yeah. And so, but it's still subject, It's there's still too many subjective things. And like our PK on the, on the last weekend was a perfect example of that. It's like, it's really subjective whether he got brought down or not. And you can see it 10 more times and it doesn't really, there's, there's no angle that objectively proves he wasn't brought down. Now in the VAR rules, then you're just supposed to go with 
the call that was made in the moment, which was also a subjective call, but you know, that's what's supposed to happen. If it's not objectively obvious that something didn't happen, then whatever happened on the field should should stand. But again, VAR generally, like unless it's clearly like a ball was over a line or not, or you know, you red carded the wrong person, or this person didn't even get touched, you know, then I think it's just subjective and it's kind of like it's just, just it, it just takes up time. I just hate that you can't celebrate a goal. You like you got to wait for the check and yeah, it's disruptive. Anyway, um, <laughs> you want to have a like a twenty minute old nope. man rant about that? No, not today. <laughs> There'll be time. Um, I guess I, the the I last question that just popped into my head is: we've talked a lot about the DPS, the U twenty twos, the ownership spend, blah blah blah. Are you at all? not shocked or surprised, but you have to be pleasantly encouraged that we've gotten so much production the last two years out of the draft. When you look at Jasper, Elijah, Berton, Ameka has been a, you know, a, just an absolute uh, emerging star out there at different positions. Um, that's nothing anybody could have, could have, or probably would have wanted to predict yeah what's the question why jeez can we do it again yeah do it how do you do this every every two years you get four contributors out of the college draft whether you're picking seventh or 81st here's what i'll say no promises that we're going to keep doing this in the future because well look here's here's what i will say for real which is you know it's it's hard because look those players are stepping into a spot on the roster and a spot in the depth chart and you can't, you know, you can't pick players that fill the same spots every year, right? Some of it is, mm. you know, we were, I mean, we've transitioned and you probably have this mass somewhere, but like how many players, you know, since the beginning of 21, how many players have we, you know, what's, how different is our roster? Are we 15, mm -hmm. 16 players different or something like that? I mean, we're 15 just since Savarino arrived in May of 22. Yeah. So, so you look at that and it's, there's a lot of turnover in the roster. There are a lot of a lot of depth pieces that we've yeah. rolled over. And so that that provides opportunity for the right college kid to make the team. So before, I mean, sometimes it doesn't even matter how when it when it's a kid coming out of college, sometimes it doesn't even matter how good or not he is. He there needs to be the right opportunity for him. And so that's something that, you know, everyone says in the draft, you're going for best fit or best available. Mm. And it's like in soccer, you you it's it's like weirdly you, you just have to always do both mm. like you if you pick the best fit you might get a bad player and and then the market is so big globally that you could always fill that need somewhere else but if you pick the best player and completely ignore fit now you pick you know if we picked a you know a goalkeeper in the draft well, that doesn't make a lot of sense right. for us because you've got Zach and you've got Gavin, you've got Fernando and, you know, so on Blake Kelly. And like, you could just go all the way down deep into the Academy about all the players that we've got sure. coming through. So you've got to have, you know, the right mix of the two things. But so it's, yeah, it's hard to promise every year pulling out this many contributors. I think the coaching staff's um, buy-in and willingness to, incorporate and believe these kids is huge because none of these kids are dps so like a dp walks on the field and you're like oh yeah that guy's good nobody's <laughs> gonna be like you're wrong you know what i mean but a college kid walks on the field and someone needs to believe in them a little bit to give them the opportunity to work with them to get to get out of them something that maybe they see that the kid doesn't even see right so i think pablo and his staff has been have been great in that respect with uh with guys like jasper and mm. mecca and elijah and bertine right they've been amazing with with those guys um how do we do it? 
uh, look, I'm a huge believer in the the collaborative process. And so um, college is a really unwieldy beast from a scouting standpoint. There are so many teams. There are so many players. There are so many bad games. And you've got to show up at some of these games and everyone wants to show up at the ACC final and see, oh, there's a bunch of good players out there. And they're like, yeah, there are. That's 100% true. Um, but Emeka was at Cornell mm -hmm. and, you know, Elijah was at UW and, you know, Bertine was, you know, he was in the ACC. So whatever, he was a pit, you know. So it's, it's, uh, it's difficult to um, so it's difficult to cover that, and so we try to get as many eyes as we can on guys, you know, across various mm -hmm. people. I think between us uh, on the scouting side and the coaching staff, like we probably had ten or twelve different people watch some some amount of college games, mm -hmm. and then we all got in a room a bunch of times and we argued with each other, um, and until we kind of started to shape a consensus in in the right direction. And look. There's a little bit of fortune because the draft is a crapshoot, and you never know who's going to fall to you. Um, even if you, even if we identified the best player in the draft, uh, in most years you're not going to have a chance to pick who you think is the best player in the draft because maybe a lot of other people see that he's the best player in the draft, and you know he goes yeah. before your pick. So it's a, it's a, it's a fun process, but it's like difficult, and I would never ever promise anyone that we're gonna. <laughs> I just, I tell everyone like we're not picking anyone who's any good this year, and then we'll try and we'll do our best. So set expectations nice and low, and then we'll exceed them. Kurt, that was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. We love uh, the cap mechanic breakdown. We also love hearing uh, stories of, of scouting, whether it's at the top end of the roster or the speculative part of the roster. Unfortunately, we won't see you in Toronto this weekend, but we'll be back for Chicho's debut on Saturday, July 8th. Could be Palacio's debut as well against Orlando City at America First Field. A handful of tickets still remain for what is expected to be an exciting, exciting day in Sandy coming up. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.